Yes, hello and welcome back to Long Ball Footy Ball. This is our fifth episode. You're joining myself, Albert, and my brother Barney. How you been, Barney? Good week? Yeah, good week. Um, good weekend of football. Uh, enjoyed watching the games again. Mm. How about yourself? Very good, although I'm absolutely shattered. I uh, Mixed bag, really. I mean, I got. I was very happy that I got to play football for the first time in a very long time. Um, oh, nice. Got to play five-a-side again with some mates that I haven't seen in a very long time, which is really nice. But I didn't quite go how I dreamt it the night before, shall we say. Um, obviously, I felt a little bit guilty. We're allowed to play football again, for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, in the UK and in London, where I live, the uh, COVID-19 restrictions have crept up a little bit, meaning there's kind of certain new rules about not being able to meet people outside more than six people at a time, etc. But they are trying to keep exercise uh, active. So you're still allowed to play football, five-side football in a group of 10, but you can't socialise afterwards. Anyway... I felt a bit guilty, so I thought, to alleviate my guilt, I will avoid all public transport and decided to cycle from my house in North London down to Shoreditch. Seven miles each way. Didn't Ooh. bother didn't bother checking that beforehand. Took me about 50 minutes to cycle down there. I was absolutely wrecked. How are the hamstrings? <laughs> in bits, in tatters. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say my uh, tracking back was not what it used to be. <laughs> Did you get yeah. any goals? None. I didn't deserve any. Let's be realistic. Uh. <laughs> which, in, which in five or so football is saying something. Anyway, back at it next week. I'm going to get the overground. It's going to be fine. Back on form next week. But yeah, like you said, it was nice to have the uh, the Portuguese league back. I think for English fans, I think we'll be happy to see the back of that international break. It was pretty dire stuff from us, but much better for Portugal. I think Portuguese fans are quite happy with how the international break went for them. Yeah, a lot of very positive reactions. And I think... Um if you were from the outside the rest of Europe I, I think it's sort of gone sort of understated how good these performances were mm. uh, draw against France um, draw against Spain and then obviously the win against Sweden yeah really really promising for them they've definitely got to be up there for favourites um, for the Euros I think yeah absolutely and I mean it was two nil-nils but we're talking you know nil-nil against Spain and nil-nil against France obviously Spain not what they have been in recent years but a very solid performance and against France, the world champions, I thought they played really well. And I think what people will be most pleased with is how they did defensively. Two clean sheets against two good sides is fantastic. Ruben Diaz proving what a good defender he's going to be. Pepe rolling back the years. I mean, if you haven't seen the video of him marking Kylian Mbappe, it's fantastic to watch. Yeah, and then obviously you had uh, Danilo having sort of a nice partnership with William Carvalho in the middle of the park. Mm. But with Danilo and um, Ruben Diaz leaving uh, Liga Nost, this transfer window, I was thinking about... Um, Pepe started the three games. I think Rafa came in as a sub, but there wasn't really any other players in the Portuguese squad from this league. And it really got me thinking about who could potentially get there for the Euros, who could maybe get in that starting eleven. And there's very few I could think of, really. You texted me about this over the weekend and it really got me thinking because it's such a good question. I mean, you know, as English football fans, we're used to the best English players playing in the English division. It's very rare. I mean, obviously, Jadon Sancho plays for Dortmund, but, but in Portugal, it's not the same story at all. You're right. Pepe started every game and he looked very good. He won't be there for long though. And other than that, um, there weren't many faces from the Primera Liga. So we both sat down at home, had a quick think, and we came up with some names that we personally think could be a shout uh, to get into that Portuguese squad. Who have you gone with, Bonnie? Well, for me, there was, um, there was only one, really. Paulinho for Sporting. Mm. Mainly after his performance against Porto at the weekend. But I didn't realise how old he was. I thought he was a little bit younger, if I'm honest. Um, okay. but he's 25 years old. But he looks like a really handy midfielder. But then when you look at the squad, he's got to get in ahead of Danilo, William Carvalho, Ruben Neves, Jean Moutinho, who is getting a bit on. Mm. So he's the only one who I think could feature. If there was an injury or two, you know, I think he, he could 
force himself potentially. Well, I agree actually. I think there, and I think there could be a spot for him. Actually, like you said, with Juan Moutinho getting older, and I think having a third solid defensive midfield option is for a team that play two defensive midfielders would be a good idea. Uh, but for me, I've come up with three names. The first one is Nuno Mendes, the left back for Sporting. Now, I know it's his, pretty much his breakout season, so perhaps it's a bit too early for him. But we saw um, Sequeira from Braga called up last minute after Mario Rui got injured. Um, and I thought he might have been in with a shout then. But like I said, it's his breakout season, so I think it was probably a bit too soon for him. Although we've spoken about him in podcasts gone by, and we both rate him very highly. I'm sure we both agree that we think he's someone who will feature for Portugal in the not very distant future. I've gone for Paulinho from Braga, the striker. I think out-and-out strikers are something Portugal don't have much of. And in fact, you could say it's the position where they have the least options. Obviously, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo being one. But traditionally, we still think of him, think of him as a winger. Maybe he's someone who wants more of a free role. And if you want someone who's going to stand up front and be that target man figure, Gonzalo Paciencia is playing reasonably well at the moment for Schalke, but I don't think he was in the squad, or I don't think he's uh, really in contention. And of course, Andre Silva, who I think people still have quite high hopes for, even though he wasn't too successful at Milan. But I think Paulinho just offers you a bit of experience up front, a kind of proven goal scorer. Yeah, I think if you wanted that more out-and-out striker, then I think he would be a great option for them. Uh, and the third one I've gone for, actually, he did get called up again through injury, but was uh, Bruno Varela, the goalkeeper for Vittoria Gimaraes, who maybe this time before the last game week I wouldn't have included, but his performance uh, last week for Vittoria was fantastic. And I think he's not a very young player, but he's still got a few years of development ahead of him. And he's a, he's another one who I think could be in with a shout. Yeah, like we discussed in um, previous podcasts about that performance, it was a phenomenal performance from him. And we said how this is really his first season of a while. He's had that opportunity to be number one and get a string of games. So if he continues like that the rest of the season, you never know. Yeah, I agree. He's shown a lot of talent and he's someone that I would back to perform on the international stage as well. So me and Barney have had a little play around with the format of this podcast and it's going to be slightly different going forward. We're going to have a couple of new sections. The first thing is at the beginning of the podcast, we're both going to bring some new stories that we spotted throughout the week of interest and have a little discussion about those. And the other thing we're going to be doing is each week we're going to be having a focus team and that's going to be about me and Barney picking one team from the Premier League each week and sort of going on a deep dive about who they are, their recent history, which players we've been impressed by, how they're doing in the league. And essentially that's just about us learning more about some of the teams that aren't the most famous names in the league. Since we started this podcast, it's been very easy to sort of keep track of the big three. Uh, games are easy to watch, but it's the the other teams, it's particularly for an English speaker as well. It is quite hard to um, find the news stories. And, and yeah, and this week I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, Google Translate has been my best friend this week. But more on that later, where we're going to talk, be talking about Rio Ave. Now, the first story that I've brought this week is about a team that we haven't spoken about in this podcast before because they don't currently play in the Primera Liga. That is Vitoria Chetubal. However, they were playing in the Primera Liga last season. They're not one of the biggest clubs traditionally. And the impression that I get is that they're something of a yo-yo club between the top two tiers. But they're a well-known team with a lot of history and a, quite a loyal local fan base. In the 2019-20 season, they were in a pretty familiar relegation battle. But on the last day of the season, they managed to secure survival by beating Belenens 2-0 and grabbing 16th place, uh, initially meaning that Portimonense would be going down instead of them. Now, for those of you who don't know, in the Portuguese top tier, uh, there's only 18 teams and only the bottom two get relegated. Um, so initially, Sotubal thought they had secured safety, but this all changed in July when 
Setubal alongside Avish, who had finished bottom anyway and were already going down, were forcibly relegated to the third tier due to failing to present the necessary requirements for professional registration. Now that's the posh way of basically saying they didn't have enough money to register for the top tier. Now I don't know where their financial trouble started, but clearly they have some pretty huge financial issues because this week it came out in the news that an anonymous Chateaubel based company had donated 25 grand in order for them to be able to register to the third division in Portugal, the Campeonato de Portugal. The fact that they didn't even have 25 grand in the bank or even access to that money as a relatively big football team shows just how bad things were. And it was quite interesting because I had been looking out for them. I mean, I have got a little bit of a soft spot for Chateaubel. I've been looking out for their results. But it was quite, I found it quite strange that I couldn't find any results because the third tier has already started. It turns out that the reason they hadn't been playing was because they couldn't afford the registration fee. It's all a bit messy now because some teams have played a couple of games and some teams have played no games like Chateaubel. But it looks like things could be on the up with that anonymous donation, meaning they can register. And they actually played their first game at the weekend on Saturday against a team. Now I'm going to try and pronounce this name. Moncara Pachens. <laughs> Barney's, give, Barney's giving me the thumbs up and they won 1-0 and a lot of fans I saw commentating saying that they've actually kept hold of some of some players who probably shouldn't be playing in that division and hopefully therefore you know if they keep some decent players they'll be able to get back into the second division relatively quickly and build from there but yeah just a nice story that I saw this week about a team that I've got a little bit of a soft spot for yeah it's, a, it's an incredible story isn't it I mean seen in recent times in England um, Barry and Maxfield having these financial problems but what's good with this one is that they've actually managed to keep the team together and they haven't had to bring up a Phoenix club or anything. This donation seems to have been an absolute lifeline for them. Incredible that they've been able to keep some players as well. I mean, I would love to see that team in action. Yeah, I mean, there was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comment online about how they've kept some top division standard players. I mean, I'm not sure it's quite like that, but I think they've <laughs> probably, you know, I assume they've got one of the better squads in the division. I mean, there's some quite low, there's quite a low standard in the third tier of Portugal. So you'd hope that, It'll be the type of season where if they all stick together, the fans stay behind their team and they sort of grind out this season, they'll be back in the second tier and building from there. I mean, talking of um, top players in the lower leagues, another story you uh, showed me this weekend was uh, Helton getting, oh, yes. getting the gloves on again. Of course, what a lovely story this is. I mean, for anybody listening who doesn't know who Helton is, we were kind of aware of him. He's a bit of a legend in Portugal. He's a Brazilian goalkeeper, most famous for playing for Porto in the sort of early to mid two thousands, played for Porto under Jose Mourinho, of course. Made more. Oh, than did three... he wear? Did he wear trousers? That's what. <laughs> that's what I remember him for. I think yeah, he's one of the goalies that wears jogging bottoms. Um, made more than three hundred appearances for Porto, uh, and initially retired in two thousand and sixteen. But at forty two years old, he's come out of retirement to play for Unial de Leiria, the first team that he played for in Porto in Portugal. It's a bit of a romantic love story, but how nice to hear. Um, it's kind of funny because initially uh, it was announced at the beginning of the month that he was joining Leria, but they didn't say in what capacity. So I think a lot of people assumed that it was going to be like coaching or something behind the scenes, but he made his second debut at the weekend and won one, and it was only 1-1, so it can't have been too bad. Yeah, I absolutely love stuff like that. Like, especially as he's been out of the game for a few years. You know, he, he must have had that in his head. He could still do a job for someone and... Uh... Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I know, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if it's easier for a goalkeeper who's slightly older, but you still got to throw your body about and stuff. It, it must still take its toll. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, fantastic story. So moving on to the games that Al and I managed to catch uh, this weekend, 
Um, first one, of course, is going to be Sporting Porto. Uh, we recommended it at the end of the last pod, and it uh, definitely didn't um, fail to deliver. You're giving yourself a little pat on the back there, Barney. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was an easy one, wasn't it, this week? It was. It was. Uh, ended 2-2. Really good game. Well, quite evenly matched, I think, in terms of quality. I don't know where to start with this one, because there was a lot of talk after the game. There was. Um, so let's maybe go through the goals. So Sporting go ahead, 1-0, through Nuno Santos. And then Porto... Uh, grabbed two back from uh, Arube and Corona but then the, the most sort of the highlight of the game was just before half time when um, Sporting were awarded a penalty which was eventually overturned by VAR I really really this was the this was the topic after the game wasn't it whether it was a penalty or not I've got a lot to say about this penalty and actually this was the first game this season that we've watched together on Skype and we were talking as it happened and I was absolutely fuming I could not believe it. I was furious that he gave that penalty in the first place I mean and in my opinion if the ref is going to give that as a penalty then this is a game that I don't want to watch anymore because I'm sorry you watch the replay and the defender's hand is barely touching the striker's shoulder there's no pullback there's no aggression there's absolutely nothing to put him off his stride his hand's like on his shoulder for a couple of seconds and then it comes off I could not believe that the ref gave that as a penalty I was shouting for VAR to rescind that. Yeah, it was. It, I agree with you on that one. I thought it was really, really soft. And for, for a while as well, I didn't think it, he was going to go to VAR, but eventually he was uh, called over and had a look. It took a while, actually, which is interesting because they've usually been quick, pretty quick with VAR in Portugal. I Part of me can see why he gave it. Mm. But I think it's good that they got to their decision and recommended that he take a look on the screen himself. Sanusi got shown a second yellow for this um, for this foul, um, and he would have been off the pitch. Now, of course, they got overturned once the VR decision came through. But a little bit before that, in the build-up to that play, he had a horrible foul on uh, Pedro Porro that a lot of people are talking about as well post after the game. Just uh, completely goes over the ball, stuns into Porro's ankle, who's picked up a bit of a knock, I think, now. If he's going to be sent off for anything in that game, it's that foul. I mean, it's not nice. His foot goes right over the ball onto uh, Poirot's ankle. It was a pretty awful one. Yeah, so lucky to stay on the pitch most. But he I mean, he created the first goal for um, Porto, which we shouldn't forget. Um, mm. A really good cross. And obviously, he's stepping into Alex Teller's shoes. I was really excited to see how he performed. How do you think he played, Barney? What did you make of him over 90 minutes? It's a completely different player, isn't he? Mm. Um, to Alex Tellers he's got a bit of pace about him um, I mean that delivery for the goal was fantastic I just I think defensively he reminded me of um, Serge Aurier in, in some ways you know um, for Tottenham uh, yes fantastic attacking threat really really good but then when he's on the back foot defending you're just a little bit worried you feel like there's a foul in there or something like that you're just not 100% so yeah it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to perform there the rest of the season I know exactly what you mean, yeah, I totally agree. I think he was probably a bit surprised to find himself thrust into the limelight like that. I don't think he was expecting to be the starting left-back for Porto, and I don't think Porto were expecting him to be their starting left-back, but I think he's the only one they've got in the books at the moment. Got Louis, he had Luis Diaz on the left in front of him, who I don't think he really offered sort of that defensive support. But I thought Luis Diaz had a really good game, actually. I made a note of that because I think I criticised him last game I watched him play. But he, he showed a few flashes, a few lovely bits of skill. I think there's um, there's a, a really nice uh, sort of Pirate-like movie he does in the middle of the park that's um, definitely worth a look at. It was quite a good derby, I feel. But for me, I think Sporting seems to be up for it more than Porto. You know, Porto obviously coming off the back of that Maritimo defeat. But I just felt like Sporting seemed to be a little bit more there for the win, a bit more aggressive. Yeah, Sergio Constasal was adamant after the game that he thought Porto deserved to win. But I have to say, I cannot agree with him, really. I think I think ultimately the draw was the fair result in the end. It was a pretty uh, end-to-end game in the first half. Second half saw a lot less action, actually. But yeah, overall, I think the draw was the fair result. 
the thing that I took away from this game and what I've also taken over the sort of early start to the season is um, an improved sporting side and a depleted sporting side from last season. So I think that battle between those two is going to be a lot tighter than it was last year. Do you think Porto have a defensive crisis on their hands? And because hmm, I think crisis might be too much of a strong word, but from what I was reading and from some of the fans' comments on the Bola was, you know, if you take away the penalties that they've been awarded, the performances haven't been that good or that, like, you know, those penalties have been quite important for them. Um, and without those, you know, you look at those, the free results they've played already, it's, they haven't looked like league winners, if I'm honest. I, I totally agree. They don't, they don't look like champions at the moment. I wouldn't say there's a crisis. And the main reason for that is because they've still got Pepe, who I think is playing above and beyond the level that he needs to be for this division. The one thing that's surprising me is that they're not playing Carasa more at right back. Now, he might be injured. I'm not entirely sure. But for me, he would be another experienced head to put in that back four and maybe calm things down, You know, take control of the game a bit more. I think he's someone that I would be interested to see come in. But on that left side, I think they're, they're starting to look in danger a little bit. Uh, we'll, ha- we'll have to see how Zaidu Senussi gets on over the course of the season. I wasn't convinced by his performance on Saturday. And of course, they've got Malang Sarr who could play. They've got Diego Leite who could play. Both young players uh, who could play at centre-back. So I think that's probably where they will, they will suffer the season. I wonder if they'll look to do some business in January. I know. I think obviously Grujic as well got to come into the midfield there. I wasn't sure about obviously Danilo going to PSG. For me, Oliviera needs to be a bit more forward. I don't think he suits that uh, holding midfielder role. I know Ruby can sort of do it to job there but once again I think he's the sort of midfielder he wants to have someone behind him to give him that bit more freedom so that that's also going to sort of be a feature for the rest of the season as well in terms of supporting that defence I think there's a gap that Daniel has left but to go back to sporting I think a really good start they've obviously played only three only three games compared to the other teams who've played four and I, I really like this performance I thought uh, Palina uh, had a really good game he's just signed a new contract as well Mm. And and he'll be really important for them this season with Wendell going to Zenit St. Petersburg for 20 million. He should have that place cemented now. I didn't realise he was on loan at Braga for two years, uh, two years as well. I can't believe that. I mean, I think he was man of the match for me. And it, the fact that he's been on loan to one of their close rivals for two years now just seems bizarre because he looked like he was bossing that midfield and... I think he'll be a certain starter for them. Yeah, and I think I, I think they've got a few strikers to come back in because they went with Jovan um, Caval in the middle. Um, it just didn't that didn't seem to work for them. And if they're like a proper number nine up there, I think that could have changed things as well. That's exactly what I wanted to say. I mean, for me, they looked quite even. I think Sporting will be pleased with the progression they've made from last season and the fact that they've closed the gap on Porto. But what set Porto apart for me and what means I believe Porto will still finish ahead of Sporting this year is a player like Musa Morega playing up front because Sporting really lacked that focal point at the front of their attack. I've been really I've been really impressed with Nuno Santos for Sporting, but he seems like more of a natural winger. I mean, he's popped up with some great, important goals. And like you said, Cabral, I wasn't convinced about him up front. I mean, you look at that formation that they played, that 3-5-2, and for me, it's just perfect for especially when they play some of the smaller teams in the league, taking out one of those centre-backs, going to a back four and going to a 4-3-3 with a target man, striker-type player in the middle of that three at the top with Santos and Cabral on either side of him. I think that would be a really strong team. I'm quite excited. I think it was a draw, so, you know, an OK result for both teams, I guess. But the way Port have been playing and seeing how Sporting performed in that game, I think it could be quite close between them to the season. 
Yeah, I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing how that battle progresses and seeing who comes out on top. But after um, Porto dropping points for the second time now, um, Benfica putting a decent performance on Sunday against Real winning 3-0. You watched that game, didn't you, Albert? Yeah, they really look like they're running away with this league. I mean, it was a totally dominant performance. They showed real quality. And to be honest, Rio have offered absolutely nothing in return. The story of this game is that new partnership between Darwin Nunes and Luca Waldschmidt. It seems to be growing and growing with each game and they look a formidable pair up front. Throughout the game, they actually created four goals between them. Um, it was just a shame that two of them were ruled offside. The first half, they were totally on top. They scored an early goal through Waldschmidt, a Darwin Nunes assist. Uh, and then they had two further goals ruled, up, ruled out for offside. But in the end, they got their second before half time. Um, and Darwin set up Gabriel for the last goal in the second half to make it 3-0. But yeah, two really great signings for me. The one interesting thing is that if you'd asked me before the season, I would not have predicted that it would have been Darwin setting up Luka Waldschmidt all the time. I thought it would have been the other way around, but Darwin Nunes still looking for his first goal, but five assists in four games is a, is a fantastic return for a striker. The games I've watched so far, this reminded me a bit of their, their first performance when those two just hit the ground running, Walshman and Darwin, this looks really, really threatening. It just works an absolute treat with Walshman sort of arriving late and coming in. It's, can, you, I, can you see them dropping points at all this season? It's frightening, really, because every single game they go into, you put it in them to be the winners. Even Porto home and away, I would still put my money on Benfica to win the way they're playing at this moment in time. The smart money is on Benfica to win the league and it's a question of when and rather than if. I mean, you watched the game against Ferenz where Ferenz sort of had a few opportunities and like it looked like they, Benfica were potentially wavering. For me, it's the, the thing that really strikes me is their press and how aggressive they are. They're really, really aggressive. No time on the ball at all. Um, Otamendi and Vertonghen obviously started for the first time at the back. Uh, we've talked about both their ages, but I think when you've got the midfield doing what they're doing, there is actually not that much reliance on those two centre-backs to be sweeping up messes or whatever. It's, it, it works so, so well. Uh, but in fairness, and with all due respect to the Portuguese league, I think perhaps this is more Otamendi's level. You know, He's not coming up against the players he was in the Premier League every week. So I think those two will be more than good enough. The one player that I wanted to talk about who I think has been a bit of an unsung hero and actually hasn't shown his full potential yet is Everton. I'm not sure whether Benfica are currently playing a formation that really shows him off to his full potential because they pretty much play a 4-4-2. Now, obviously, Vulcanmitt up front has a bit more of a free role, um, but Everton is playing very, very wide left. Uh, and as someone who scored a lot of goals in Brazil and looks like a very dangerous player, he's being asked to do that more traditional left-sided midfield role, getting up and down the line, helping out defensively, and mainly being a provider with balls into the box. If you were thinking selfishly for him, he would much rather be playing on the left of a three in like a 4-3-3 type of formation where you can cut in and be more of a goal threat that way. But still, with three assists this season, that's a very decent return. And I think his time will come this season. But yeah, right now, Darwin Nunes and Luka Vulcanmitt are stealing the headlines. If anybody is going to watch any Benfica games, I really recommend it soon because the football they're playing is fantastic. Really is worth, worth watching. Yeah, really enjoyable to watch. And going back to what you said actually about them pressing, that's what they do so well. And just to briefly touch on Rio Ave, because unfortunately there's not much to say, but they really did not do themselves any favours. They were giving the ball away left, right and centre in really dangerous positions as well. Just kind of silly passes, which Benfica picked apart all day. And when you've got a team that press, as as you said, as aggressively as they do, you're going to stand absolutely no chance. Very professional performance and did a great job on a team who early this season were had Europa League hopes. Now, in any normal week, that game probably would have been game of the week. But 
there was a really fantastic spectacle from an unlikely source, and that game was Forens 3, Family South 3. Now, Barley, you know, I've been watching, making a point of watching Forens the last few weeks. If only for Ryan Gold. If only for Ryan Gold. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I've developed some kind of emotional attachment to them. I'm rooting for them whenever they play, but it's been such a struggle to watch these last few weeks. And honestly, they've been working so hard to get into Leeds and then just throwing them away. Yeah, I mean, you were texting me throughout this match. I know you can't really understand it in the text, but it sounded like you were almost crying at one point. <laughs> um, it, it is really disappointing and it is it does seem to be, it's, I don't want it to become their story of the season, but so far there's been too many times where they've got got ahead and then just let things go. I feel like I've said it so many times this season already. And unfortunately, it was the same story today. I mean, the first half of this game, I was so happy for them because they just came out and they absolutely blew Family Sal away. And Family Sal didn't know how to deal with them. And they weren't playing beautiful football by any means, don't get me wrong, but there was just so much energy and passion in the players. You could still see that they really wanted to win the game. And they were 2-0 up at halftime. I'm thinking, this is it. They've turned the corner. They're ready to show that they can win games in the top division. But they did it to me again. Fair play to Family Sal, who came out in the second half and obviously had had a talking to, fixed up their game. But as soon as they started playing well again, Forens just looked scared. And it was quite easy for Family Sal to bring it back to 2-2. And at this point, I'm just praying that Forens could hold back. And I was devastated when Family Sal got their third. But credit where credit's due, because that goal was absolute filth. Jordao on loan from Wolves. Get, picks up the ball in the halfway line, just inside the halfway line. And sits down two friends defenders and it's a lovely finish and I was sitting there just thinking he's a player it's caught my eye obviously seeing him coming from coming in from Wolves so you know there was a bit of interest there but I love those midfielders man who've got a little bit of silkiness to them he can hit a ball as well yeah really he's, like that and he's one of those players and he hasn't actually played too much for Family Sal this season but he will be featuring more after that I mean it was a fantastic goal now look credit where it's due because Ferenz did something that they haven't done in the previous games, which was that they found it within themselves to get a goal back. So that is a sign of improvement for me. I mean, maybe this time a couple of weeks ago, their heads would have dropped and they would have just left it at 3-2, but they ground out a draw. But for me, it felt like a loss. Perhaps you could say, you know, those those first two goals came a bit too early on in the game. You know, if, mm. when you're the underdog, as it were, you don't want to be holding on to leads. You want to solve a last minute thing, don't you? But then also on the other side, I was like, oh, they've, they've conceded 10 goals in four games now. Really? Um, yeah, it's I've, that's the worst in the league. Um, wow. They obviously had a fantastic season last season, but it just we just haven't quite seen it this season. I feel. I mean, they've obviously got goals in them, that's for sure. But it's just that defense is is very worrying for them. And then you got friends getting their first point of the season, and I don't. I know it's a sad. It was a, a sad uh, thing to see unfold. But like you said, they have fought and they've got that draw. It'd be really bad for them to, to go away thinking this. They lost points here. You've got to go on thinking you've won points and take that onto the next game. And on our weekly edition of Ryan Gould Watch, miles off it. Miles off it. Bad game for really? him. Really? Yeah, bad game for him. Did you watch any other games this week? Yeah, so I made the effort to watch uh, Maritime and Porto Menendez this week because mainly just because of Maritime's last few performances, the win against Porto, how they hold on against Santa Clara to get that 2-1 over the line. I've really enjoyed watching Lito Vidigal. Um, I think he's a really good character. But as soon as I sat down for this game, I just had a feeling that Porto Menendez were going to get something from this game. You know, one of those hunches I get every now and again. And ultimately, they did end up winning 2-1 in the end. I found it really interesting that before the game, Lita Vidigal was really hammering home. I'll just read out the quote. The quality of Maritimo and Porto Menendez is similar. I've, I found that really interesting for him to bring that up. They've just come off, they've just beaten Porto, you know, mm. the last, last season's winners. Yeah. 
Fortum and Ems have managed to stay up because of you know what happened with Citipool where you already talked about. It's a really negative way to go about things, I think. I mean, if you're a player as well, you do, you just want to be riding high on the the win rather than you know thinking about oh this is going to be a tough game against Fortum and Ems. And they took that into the game. They they stuck with their five at the back. They just didn't weren't pressing at all. I mean, they almost were playing the similar same tactics that they were playing against Porto in some parts. There's two big losses though for me from. Um, Maritimo during the transfer window. Obviously, Nani going to Porto, mm. um, and recently Gettison's gone to Alain in um, Saudi Arabia for one million euros. Uh, he was their number ten. So those are big players for them. I think Nani is obviously that outlet for them when they are needing to sit back and that sort of play the counter attack. And Gettison, um, re- really experienced player who got a few goals for them as well. So yeah, it was just a, a disappointing um, game plan. I feel for Maritimo. Mm. Um, they actually went ahead uh, through weird pen um, for Portland Lens to give away. The ball's been hoofed away from goal, so it's going the other way towards the other end of the pitch. And just before it drops down in the very corner of the penalty box, it just clips the defender's hand. Like in, you know, and I couldn't work out if it was an advantage, but yeah, it was a clear ball. To, like the ball clearly hit his hand. It's just frustrating one. We don't enjoy seeing those handballs given, really. No, but um, anyway, Rodrigo Pino um, started at home. Really good um, penalty. What a season he's having, by the way. Yeah, I hope he keeps up um, and I hope he can still get the service. I think Nanu was a really good player to have in that team to sort of get the ball to him. And so then uh, as the game went on, Porton then sort of found a few more chances. I mean, there's one chance you, you have to watch. Um, Porton then's captain Denner, the Brazilian centre midfielder, from about 45, 40 yards, let's say, has a hit. And what a hit. That ball is... The keeper had to make a fantastic save to keep it out. It was unreal. Wow. He eventually gets the equaliser, though. Uh, and then um, Bermorte, who's Bermorte's nephew, Elton Bermorte, gets the assist for the second. Yeah, decent performance in Porto Nantes. I haven't seen much of this season. I mentioned Dena. I think their number eight, Lucas Fernandes, in the middle as well, looked like a good player. Yeah, good win for them. I mean, we really haven't seen much from them at all this season, to be honest. Yeah, no... Uh, I, I think they're ones to watch. I think before the game, I was really looking forward to the Malaysian signing, uh, Safari Rashid, um, because there's rumours he'd get a, get on at some point in this game, but he didn't come on. He's bringing a wealth of interest from Malaysia. I think this game was even going to be shown in Malaysia. And of course, the other interesting signing on a similar level for uh, Maritimo was the billionaire Faik Balkaya. Do you know about this story? Yeah, you told me when it happened. I couldn't believe it was it was real. So if anybody doesn't know this story, Maritimo signed a winger called uh, Fike Bulkaya, and he's famous for being and he's famous for being the world's richest footballer with a net worth of something like twenty billion dollars or something insane. Now the reason for that is because he's the son of the Sultan of Brunei. He's also the captain of the Brunei national team. Now I'll let you decide how that came about. But he was most recently on the books at Leicester, uh, which is quite interesting. Now, when you look at this guy's career, his youth career states that he was on the books at youth level for Southampton, Arsenal, Chelsea and Leicester. So this guy is kind of playing professional football for fun, literally. And he's just signed for Maritino and not played yet. Never played for Leicester. He's played more games for the Brunei under-23s than he's ever played for a club side. Um, but I'm really excited to see him get on the pitch. I want to see what he can do. You just can't help think that it's... You know, his dad's saying, oh, I'll give you a, a, a few thousand if you give my son a go. And I... <laughs> <laughs> we should say at this point, we have no legal proof to prove that. So please nobody sue us. <laughs> it, it could come on and be a world beer. You never know. We never know.
So if you have a look at the rest of the table now, um, just to see where who's moved off these games over the weekend, uh, Benfica are still top with a 100% record in four. Um, Porter in second, having dropped five points in the last two games. So that's really significant, I feel. Sporting in third, matching Porter seven points, but having paid paid a game less. Uh, they've only conceded two goals as well, uh, which were against Porter on Saturday. So, Very um, Yeah. Um, despite losing to Pacos Ferreira on Sunday, Santa Clara also on seven points, thanks to their good start to the season. Uh, and important goals from Thiago Santana, who's looked really good. Got him in my fantasy team, Barney. Got me a few points there. Very nice. Braga seems to be getting it together as well after a poor start with um, two good wins. Great performance on Saturday, um, with them beating CD National 2 1. The scoring doesn't do their performance justice, I feel. Though. Both their goals were really de- like fantastic, definitely worth a watch. A nice long range one and overhead kick. Was Galano on the score sheet again, Barney? No, he got an assist though. Assist, right. He's had a good start, I think. Yeah, no, I, I wrote that down actually when I watched the highlights. He looked, he looked good. I think attacking-wise, they're, they're really getting it together, Braga. Apart from the bottom four, though, the rest of the table are pretty much from five and six points from four games. There's nothing really to know here. I think the Cedar National have done okay, uh, having been promoted. They've put in a few good performances. Uh, Victoria uh, Grimmers, who we talked about quite a bit in the last podcast, um, will be hoping to move up from 12th with their new manager, Jao Henriques. Um, they play 16th Faith Bo Vista tonight, who also have had a disappointing start to the season. Gil Vicente have gone under the radar, I think, really, with um, five points from three games and only conceding one goal this season in their game against Tondeo on Saturday. I think they'll be disappointed with the draw, actually. Um, Tondeo went down to 10 men with uh, Babaco Niasca, the goalkeeper. Uh, way too keen to rush out of the area and bother checking Antoine Loretti. Hammering him again, are we? I, t- I said early on that he's, he's costing them games and, uh, you know, they were basically, they were fortunate to get uh, the draw. Um, Samuel Lino put Gil Vicente ahead. He should have had a second, which is ruled out. This is the smallest I've seen, by the way, offside by three centimetres by VAR. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Um, he looks great, by the way. He's 20 years old. And I think when he came over to Portugal, he was playing as right back, but he's now playing in that front three on the right or the left. Yeah, he's put, I think he's had two goals in three games now, but I think he's had uh, one or two disallowed by VAR. So he's really putting in um, a few good performances. Uh, Tondeo with friends make up the bottom two. They've got two points and friends have got one point respectively. Yeah, for me, the big points on the table at the moment is still very much Bo Vista and Rio Ave at the wrong end of the table. You know, they've both had very disappointing starts. And of course, Benfica five points clear after four games. I mean, I'm not going to say the league's already over, but the league could be already over. now we're going to move into our new feature which is our team in focus every week from now on in this podcast we're going to dedicate a bit of time to discussing a less well-known team more in depth i think what we found barney is that it's quite easy to talk about the top three and the bigger teams in this league but we want to dedicate some more time to some of the less known teams for us this is all about discovering new players discovering new ways of playing football and learning more about the whole of portuguese football not just the top teams so this week we're going to discuss rio ave uh, and I think that's a team that some people might be familiar with because of their Europa League exploits this season. Um, they had a very famous penalty shootout against AC Milan that ended up on the BBC Sport website. We'll touch more on that later. But it's not actually the first time they've qualified for the Europa League. And in fact, they've been trying to break into that Europa League scene for the last few years now, stretching back to 2014, I think. Yeah, so um, it was actually Nuno Espirito Santo, the current Wolves manager, who got them there. Um, in the 2013-14 campaign, he got them to the two cup finals. Um, they lost both of them to uh, Benfica, I think, but that got them that spot into the Europa League. 
and then from there they've sort of been progressing a little bit here a little bit there sort of cementing that their position in the top half of the table they're definitely one of the names in contention and and interestingly in the Portuguese league that seems to be the most congested area these days with teams like Rio Ave uh, recently Fama Sao, Sporting Lisbon Braga Vitória Guimarães so there's a lot of teams around there yeah there's definitely um more confidence with them this season they're coming off obviously coming off the back of that uh record points tally of 55 points which they uh, achieved under Carlos Carvalho um, he ultimately moved on to Braga in the summer, though, which you could see as a step up, maybe. They really impressed against Besiktas and AC Milan, and ultimately really unlucky not to get into the group stage with that penalty shootout against Milan. Yeah, some really heroic performances, and I mean, in both those games, they were the underdogs. Against AC Milan, certainly, but even against Besiktas, I mean, that's a team with more Europa League experience, more European experience in general, and... I don't think they were expected to win either game, but there were some really exciting matches. There were some last-minute goals. They were holding on for wins, and it all culminated in that match against AC Milan. I mean, we talked about it on a podcast before, but what a game that was. It was just incredible. Penalty show like no other. But also the way they got to that extra time and then ultimately penalties. Late goals um, and then going ahead an extra time. Because oh. um, they were holding on for dear life through most of the game. They were 1-0 down. Uh, and then they got that last-minute equaliser to take it to extra time. And then Jelson Dalla puts them ahead in like the first minute of extra time and you just really thought it was it was their moment and it was such a sad such a sad moment when their defender gave a penalty away in I think what the hundred and twentieth minute? Yeah, like literally last kick. Absolutely gutting. That would have been a huge blow to them. Um mm. that exit. I mean a lot of Portugal were like really interested in the, their progression and hoping that they would get there. A real hammer blow to them, and you can sort of see that coming into their performances the beginning of this season in the league. Three draws from the first three and obviously losing to Benfica on Saturday with no real fight in that performance. I mean, let's be honest, Barney, it's been pretty dire in the league for them. A really slow start. They're 15th at the moment. I mean, it's nowhere near where they want to be. Um, I think they've only scored two goals. Obviously, that's going to come with having the Thursday game and then having to do the Sunday game. It's it's going to be tiring on the players. I think the only thing for me, having looked into a little bit of how they were Playing last season, obviously a successful campaign. The way they would adapt and be flexible with their formation and the players, and it, you know, it, Carlos Carvalho seems to be very on the ball with sort of setting up for the team, not having this, not trying to stick to one system. Would, but then when you look at the lineups for the Europa League and the league this season, pretty much the same formation, same players, and so obviously Mario Silva's had to come in and try and do something and it just hasn't sort of worked out. It's largely the same team, except the elephant in the room here is, of course, the fact that they've lost Mediterranean, who was such a talisman for them last season and they really they really haven't replaced him. No, I mean, he got his move to Porto, joined top goal scorer in the league. They didn't really score many goals otherwise apart from him. I think they got something like 42 goals in 36 games. A little worrying, I think, because they haven't really replaced him with that. You know, how do you replace him? That like, good strike again, that many goals. Dallas obviously coming from Sporting, who has looked good. Yeah, I've been really impressed by him. He looks like a really bright player, but certainly not an out-and-out striker. I mean, I'm sure he's capable of chipping in with a few goals, but he's a wide player. You know, he's a player who wants to cut in and run at defenders and things like that. Also, Giraldes came in from Lisbon and Sporting Lisbon as well. I thought he's been another bright spark, a creative midfielder. Which other players have stood out for you, Barney, and who would you recommend keeping an eye out for for anybody watching Rio Ave for the first time? Well, there's a few players who've got an English connection that have, um, have been quite interesting. There's... Uh... Lucas Piazan, um, from who's still on the books of Chelsea, amazingly. Um, Can't believe that. 
but he, he's there so I think he's on loan there's, there's also Machino on loan for Man City uh, young Japanese sort of striker winger and then personally um, a player who's caught my eye is um, Felipe Augusto I think he came from Benfica a few seasons ago um, left-footed Brazilian in, in the midfield I think particularly in Ace, the AC Milan game he, there's a few touches he made with just a bit of class and I like that sort of style of midfield a bit short a bit stocky a nice bit of skill to him I, yeah he looked pretty good what about yourself? Well, just to add to what you've said, um, I agree with Jelson Dalla, of course. Giraldes has impressed me when he's played. Interestingly, Dalla and Giraldes haven't been certain starters for EOAV, which has surprised me a little bit because whenever they've played, I've been very impressed. Uh, Giraldes, like I said, a very creative midfielder. The one player I can't help but admire is Tarantini, uh, the club captain, 36 years old, a bit of a legend. He's been there since 2008 and made over 300 appearances. Uh, and he still looks like one of the best players on the pitch whenever he plays. Um, and other than that, yeah, I picked out Santos, their centre-back. Very easy to spot. He's got a lovely bleached hairdo. But he just looks like a the type of centre-back you want on your team and the type of centre-back you'd hate to play against. A proper moaner. You know, he's always moaning at the ref and at the other players and stuff. Very physical player. Yeah, you'd hate to come up against him. Also, I forgot to mention perhaps their best player, um, Carlos Mane as well, uh, mm. Portuguese winger. He, he was really fantastic. Very skillful, can create chances. Uh, I think probably their biggest, one of their most important players for Riyadh. And then, of course, there's um, this great story of Fabio Contral coming out of retirement um, and re-signing for them. Really exciting news this week. Yeah, we, I enjoyed looking at that one. Yeah, so he was obviously on the books of Real Madrid. Did he then go to Sporting for a season? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and then after that went on to Riyadh, where he um, started his career, actually. And then last season, he's retired, and now he's come out of retirement again. I'm not sure where they're going to play him. He obviously played left-back for Real Madrid, but I think he, I think in the Portuguese leagues, he's played as a winger in his first time and second time as well. Well, I mean, he's not, very, he's not as young as he used to be, Barney, and if he hasn't played for a year, I'd, I'd be interested to see how he does coming, against, coming up against some of the better players in the division. Yeah, but you, you can't doubt, you can't uh, knock the quality he had when he was at Real Madrid. A, a really, really good player. Class is permanent, as they say. <laughs> Um, looking as well into some of their ex-players of note, Jan Oblak and Edison, though, Man City Golgi, are both on their uh, rehabs books at some point. Wow. Which uh, surprised me, yeah. They've clearly got a great goalkeeping coach on their book somewhere. But yeah, a few bright sparks for them. The start of the season has been very slow domestically, but I still think they're a team to look out for. They might struggle to recover that Europa League position that they've fought for the last few seasons. But yeah, definitely more to come from them. Right, well, it's that time of the week where we bring you our moment of the week. And Barney, I think you're going to pick this week, aren't you? Yeah, that, there's a few to choose from. Um, Francis Gino's goal for Braga against CD National, fantastic long-range shot. Also, it wasn't a goal, but I can't say enough how impressive this shot was from uh, Denner for Porto Menendez against Maritimo. It was an absolute rocket from 40 yards, but it was saved. But it's still worth a watch. But then I think... The just the whole controversy and the actual drama of it all. I think the the sporting um, penalty shout just before half time. If you can see the full clip, it is a great bit of drama, and it's a great, it's a fantastic talking point because I saw a Twitter poll that um, Sporting did themselves. Of course, it's going to be Sporting fans, but sixty seven percent thought it was a pen, and we've both <laughs> said there's, there's no way it was. <laughs> no, we've both said no way. Yeah, but yeah, we'll, um, we'll sh- we might I might share all three of those out of, um, on Twitter because um, I absolutely love that Dennis shot. 
Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll make sure to share all of those moments, uh, but especially Barney's moment of the week over on our Twitter page. You can follow us on Twitter at LongBallFootyBall and we'll be sharing a bunch of stuff throughout the week to do with Portuguese football. So to wrap things up for this week, we're going to recommend you some games that you can watch over the course of the week. And it's hard to look anywhere else other than the return of European football this week, Barney. Yeah, big games this week. Um, Porto against Man City on Wednesday, uh, which would be fantastic. Uh, Man City have obviously got quite a few uh, Portuguese on the book. Ruben Diaz. Yeah, Ruben Diaz, obviously. Bernardo Silva, João Cancelo. Um, I think that's going to be a great game. Who knows with Man City at the moment, but also yeah, who knows with Porto. So we'll have to mm. see there. And then on Thursday, Benfica play away in, in Poland, playing uh, Lex Poznan. Interesting group for the match. They've also got Standard Liège, the Belgian team, and Rangers as well. Interesting. Yeah, when I was in Porto uh, one time, there was uh, I think they were playing Lisbon. Uh, Rangers were playing sport in Lisbon, but then for some reason there was a whole mass of Rangers fans in Porto at just having a lovely old time. <laughs> <laughs> got off at the wrong uh, airport, perhaps. <laughs> well, the way they've been playing. By the sounds of it, for me, they should be aiming to top that group. Uh, if you're looking for domestic action, there's only one game on free sports this week, and that's Sporting versus Santa Clara on Saturday night at 6 o'clock. Definitely worth watching for me. I mean, we've talked about how impressed we are with Sporting, and uh, Santa Clara currently punching above their weight at the top end of the table. And the one other game I might recommend uh, is on Sunday night at 9 o'clock, and that's Vittorio Guimaraes versus Braga. A bit of a local derby and two teams competing for the same Europa League spots, but you might have to be a little bit creative with how you uh, watch that one, shall we say. Braga seems to be getting it together now under Carlos Carvalho. Uh, two good wins recently. And um, Vittorio Grimmarish, obviously with their new manager, hoping to bounce back and then stop performing how we, how we know they can play. Which just leaves us to check in on our fantasy football teams. As always, we haven't, we haven't been speaking about this beforehand, so you're getting our live reactions. It's been pretty dismal in the last few weeks, so we're hoping for some real improvement. Barney, how have you got on? I have got two players playing tonight in the um, Burvista Vittorio Grimmarish game. Both Burvista players, um, and I think they're losing currently. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, nah, man, it's absolutely poor. Um, Everton was my captain, got me 12 points. Vertonghen, vice captain, six points. Twos and ones everywhere else. Had. I, the only smart thing I did was put in Zlomben and go rather than Marshallson because Marshallson got one point and Zlomben's got me two points. <laughs> That's, <laughs> it. <laughs> That's the way. What about you? Well, I hate to say it, Barney, but I've turned a corner. I'm on 55 points. I, I had a, <laughs> I had a vision. I made Vulchmit my captain. One goal and one assist for him. He's on 22 points. Thiago Santana got me six points. He got popped up oh. with a goal. Grimaldo got me six points for the clean sheet. And currently, as we speak, Vittoria Gimaraes are beating by Vista 1-0. Marcus Edwards scored. You know he's in my fantasy team. Bruno Varela no. keeping a clean sheet. You know he's in goal for me. You know it makes sense. 55 points. I'm very happy with that. I'm 21,000 in the world out of 47,000. Seems about right, to be honest. Well, that's all for us this week. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments about the podcast or our new format or anything like that you can email us at longballfootyball at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter at longballfootyball and once again thank you for listening and we'll see you next week yeah see you next week